0: ADP has your back with Accountant Connect. The award winning multi client payroll management and Linux platform is a remarkably effective tool for adding value to every client engagement. Stay tuned to hear more from our sponsor, ADP Accountant Connect, later in the episode. So, according to Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer, this is on Friday, he said, Given the many problems of the PPP program, it is imperative American taxpayers know if the money is going where Congress intended, to the truly small and unbanked small businesses. <laughs> where did that, that where did this come from? Yeah, that, was, like, that was never in any, that was never, ever mentioned that yeah. it's for the unbanked small businesses. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Melio Payments. Do you have clients that are logging into their bank website to manually pay their bills, or even worse, clients that are still handwriting paper checks because the alternatives are either too complicated or too expensive, you need to introduce them to Melio Payments. Melio Payments is easy to use B2B payments and receivables. Think Venmo, PayPal, or Zelle, but for small businesses. Melio is an app that all small businesses are capable of using regardless of size, shape, or budget. By using Melio, your clients can pay their bills easier than using their bank website and you get the processing controls you need like support for multiple users, approvals, and two-way syncing with QuickBooks Online. Melio can also help your clients improve their cash flow by allowing them to pay their bills using their business credit cards to take advantage of up to a 45-day float until their next credit card billing cycle. Now paying the rent can lead to earning those credit card points your clients love. To learn more about Melio Payments and to get your very own Melio.me link that you can use to receive payments from your business clients, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash Melio. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash M-E-L-I-O. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by PayPal. The line between a successful small to medium-sized business and a bankrupt one is often how much cash they have in the bank, how well they adapt to market changes, and how long they are able to remain cash flow positive during challenging times. PayPal integrates with QuickBooks Online and Xero to help put an end to cash flow problems. By using daily, weekly, and monthly forecasts, cash flow calendars, and powerful customized what-if scenarios, you can visualize your clients' finances in clear and intuitive ways so you can take action and reshape their cash flow. PayPy identifies when extra cash is needed and can match your clients with the right financing options via screen lenders, and you can choose the best offer suited for your clients' needs. Just for listeners of the Cloud Accounting Podcast, PayPal is offering its fully functional Unlimited Companies license for free until August 31st, 2020. Head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.com promo/paypie that is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo/paypie.
1: Welcome to the Cloud Accounting Podcast. I'm Blake Oliver, and I'm David Leary. And once again, David, we are fortunate that we have moved our recording day. It's Monday right now because we needed the whole weekend to digest everything that's been going on, and also PPP guidance came out again on Friday. <laughs>
0: After business hours, though, of course.
1: Always after business hours. And also Larry Larry Kudlow, the president's senior economic advisor, was on the uh, Sunday shows uh, talking about PPP. And so I've got some good stuff on that. Um, This
0: is the same Larry Kudlow that he was talking about how easy it was for his wife to go into their local bank and just get approved for a PPP loan, like on day one of PPP. Remember that?
1: Yeah, exactly. Because that's the typical experience of most small business owners is that they have, you know, a private bank. Um, I've got some stuff here about coronavirus and payment processors, privacy, PPP privacy, as it relates to what Kudlow said uh on uh CNN and then also Mnuchin was at a hearing and there was it's basically a big uproar about whether or not these names are going to get released of people who got the loans.
0: Oh yeah, I so I have some of that stuff too, the uh PPP stuff as well. Yeah. Um there's also a newer program that's now coming on the table that's going to be a lot like I don't know if we we talk about that. They're calling it um I think Payroll, Paycheck Protection Program, advanced or something. Oh, so this is can, new to me. Yes, there's a, <laughs> there's a yes, uh, another that's that's being proposed on the table. I I, I want to talk about neo banks because uh, Wave launched a uh, a bank. So yes. Wave accounting software, and then I have, to have stuff about Square and uh, There's all lots and lots of neo bank stuff. Um, accounting apps becoming banks. Banks becoming accounting apps. Tons of articles related to all that mess.
1: So Uh, I would love to start with that because I think that is big news. You've been predicting this for months, if not years now. What is going on with Wave? All
0: right. So Wave Accounting, which we've talked about before, they got purchased by H&R Block last year sometime they got acquired.
1: And they're an accounting application like General Ledger, right? Uh, That's correct. Historically free, you could start using it for free.
0: And they had like Google ads in the side, an accounting software package that was
1: free with like Google AdWords
0: kind of running on the side in the margin. And then they, uh, they have a, pay- a payroll product. It's a full built out bookkeeping product. And mm-hmm. there's some people that use it. And then HR Block purchased them. And then you know talking about that whole... QuickBooks Live type models of, you know, you get to get your tax and your bookkeeping under one roof for one price type model. So they've been heading down that way. And just like with, we've been talking, Zero, into it, QuickBooks, they got to become banks because the banks, you know, are heading towards the accounting package as well. Wave had a big announcement this week. It was uh, up on Twitter. And they said that we're shaking up the banking industry by introducing Wave Money, a first of its kind business bank account. Basically, it's a business bank account with a debit card, so no account minimums, no monthly fees, free instant payouts, built-in bookkeeping, mobile check deposit. I was surprised to see them be the first ones to do this. One of the things that they released in their uh, press release, which I thought was uh, interesting, just two pieces. One, it's limited release, supposedly. It's only on iOS. So if you happen to have Android, you cannot you take advantage of the Wave Money app at this time. But they released a figure which is really interesting because obviously they, they're coming out as being fee-free. They said based on the data the Wave has for their US and Canada customers, the average Wave business owner pays more than $425 a year in annual bank fees. So if you if you think about this, you know, if you're paying, whatever you're paying for, let's say Wave charged, right? Or zero charges or QuickBooks charges. If you can just use a bank provided by your accounting software and not pay bank fees, it offsets the cost of your subscription for your software practically. Right. And then they're going to have automatic expense categorization. You know, it's what you would expect because it's an accounting software package, right? It's just Mm going to be the built-in bank account. So long story short, I put that out and like uh, Zero actually kind of gave me a uh, little reply, kind of like not a hint that they're doing something, but kind of. Right, they mm-hmm. put a reply in. Uh, I some, uh, I was contacted by Intuit. Apparently, Intuit, believe this or not, Blake, like this is we we have failed our listeners. uh Oh, what 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 did we what did we miss? So in March, in March, Intuit put out a little blog post about the new features in QuickBooks Online in March. Mm -hmm. and in march intuit has quite there's a little sentence a little sentence it says quickbooks debit card a physical and digital card for accessing funds stored in a quickbooks cash account so you and i missed it but but, intuit launched a a debit card a bank but to be fair
1: like there was it was a blog post there was no big announcement on social media right It, it it was like it's a soft launch
0: it's a sentence in a bigger blog post about a bunch of other features.
1: So, they're rolling this out slowly, obviously. And I think they've started doing this with a lot of features now because they don't want to get it – they don't want to overwhelm the system. Right? Imagine if – they've got millions of QuickBooks Online users. If all of them tried to sign up at once, it would be a problem, right?
0: Well, especially going by what Wave just said. If, if, if the average business owner that uses any of these products, QuickBooks, has $400 in banking fees and QuickBooks says, hey, here's a free bank account yeah. with no fees. Right everybody's going to switch yeah. like it's very attractive of an idea and essentially what this is to do it they're tying this back into their new cash flow tool that they're releasing mm-hmm. and i'm sure uh, right now the tool doesn't seem like it does much but essentially you're going to be able to you track your cash flow you'll have this in an account so if you pay me through intuit merchant services that goes into this account but then i could pay bills with this credit card but the money never leaves the quickbooks ecosystem okay, got it it stays inside, which is very similar to what we've seen with Square and some other ones. Um and then along the way then because of that, like everybody and their brother started jumping on this tweet, right? Um there's a and I think we've loosely talked about um there's a f- freelancer banking app called Lily. They raised $10 million in seed money. So they're going, you know, it's a online banking services just for freelancers. Yeah. Um there's a Challenger Bank, Varo. Now Varo is not really going to small business as much yet, but they just raised 241 million. They're another challenger bank jumping into this thing. There's an accounting app, Wise. So Wise is another challenger bank that's only designed for small businesses. They raised $5.7 million. And then the interesting one is there's an article about Square that I found. So why its stock is soaring and how it's threatening banks. And a couple of interesting uh, points in this article. So one thing is the banks themselves have not been focused on Square's and the accounting platform's per se. No, the banks have been watching. Oh my gosh, Google and Amazon are want to be banks. So they've been in Apple. So the banks, the banks have been focused on the wrong people, right? is one argument in this. And then it goes on to talk about how square has been building out their cash app. And so this cash app sounds a lot like the QuickBooks card, right? Mm-hmm. The cash apps revenue was 528 million for Q1 of 2020 and almost triple of what it was in 2019. And yes, this cash app can be used for some investing in some Bitcoin type plays, but even if you take out that, it's still double year over year, mm-hmm. the revenue that, that are created by this cash app. Yeah. Um, Square customers have $1.3 billion stored in this cash app now, as of the end of April. Wait, oh, yeah, I want to make sure I heard
1: that right. $1.3 billion in deposits in the cash app? Yes,
0: that are stored in that Wow, right now. Got it. And cash app is getting all this new adoption. People have used it to put their cash refunds, their... Uh, stimulus, now people are taking their paychecks and directly depositing that into their Cash App account. And then that Cash App account can be, it's a debit card, it can be used at their places, but they also have a little bit of a play similar to these Robinhood where you can um, invest from this account directly by Bitcoin and, and do other recurring purchases. So Square Capital, they uh, facilitated another 75,000 uh, loans for the first quarter, totaling another 548 million. And 8% growth. Square has distributed $520 million in the Paycheck pro, uh, Protection Program. You know, And more and more they're consolidating in this industry. And the interesting, interesting point in this article that I think people should take note of, and I'll just uh, read this verbatim from the um, article here. So this article was in Forbes. With the consolidation happening in the payment space, however, banks should be concerned about who might acquire Square. And Intuit acquisition of Square would be complementary to the firm's small business capabilities as well as the newly acquired Credit Karma unit.
1: Mm. Yeah, I think it, it would. So, th- huh.
0: this could be a way for Intuit to real. I mean, if Intuit was to acquire Square, they're now a serious, serious bank, even more than what Intuit could be on their yeah. own, right? Um, and not to mention the competitive side of all the other stuff they get with the swipe and the retail terminals and it, it's very – now. What would you there's no numbers on this. I'm so just speculating
1: like how big of an acquisition do you think that would be? I don't know. I mean Square is enormous, right? $20 billion. <laughs> Square <laughs> market cap. <laughs> square's market cap as of June twelfth, twenty twenty, is thirty eight billion dollars. So I don't know so probably- can intuit can Intuit swallow a thirty eight billion dollar company? Intuit's market cap is seventy three billion. Wow. Yeah. So square's big.
0: Yeah, monstrous, monstrous.
1: And I've got a story about Square, though, that is not quite so flattering. Oh, really? Yes. So, this was in the Wall Street Journal. The headline is, hit by coronavirus and a 30% holdback by the payment processor. Apparently, processors like PayPal, Stripe, Square, and WorldPay are making some businesses wait additional days or weeks to access funds deposited to their accounts, citing the need to protect themselves against possible losses when people who have bought airline tickets, vacation packages, and some other goods and services seek refunds. An example of this is Blue Bonnet Photography, their portrait studio in Tacoma. On May 6th, Square emailed the owner saying that it would start holding 30% of each of Blue Bonnet's transactions for 120 days to, uh, quote, protect you and Square from unexpected loss events. Basically, Square and PayPal – And Stripe and WorldPay are increasing their loss reserves to cover chargebacks, which apparently have jumped dramatically during the pandemic. People are backing out of stuff that they bought in advance, like travel purchases. And and if they can't cancel, they're charging back. Uh, People are also doing chargebacks. Just because they they can't pay, right? And they don't want to pay for something. Um, that's happening in some cases. And so especially
0: if you're not getting a good or service delivered because of
1: right, COVID. Right. But also just people are like, I gotta get my credit card balance down. Maybe I'll just do some chargebacks. So chargebacks are normally 0.05% of credit card transactions. So before the pandemic, This is just like a leaky pipe. Nobody really cares that much because it's not a big deal in the big scheme of things. And so like Square and PayPal, they can absorb those losses if they don't pass them on to the merchants. Uh, Normally they do, but sometimes they can't collect because the merchant then goes out of business. They're out, right? They have to cover that. So that's why they have these um, amounts set aside to cover their losses. And and historically, it's been, I think you just said a a half a percent historically. It's 0.05% of credit card transactions. And that was historically, and you said this is increased now. In certain categories, like travel, chargebacks are as high as 40% right now. So just, I understand that. Yeah, just massive jump, right? So, this is rolling downhill to some businesses that are in certain types of industries, like photography, right? Well, what do a lot of photographers do? Weddings. Weddings are getting canceled or changed, and maybe somebody doesn't want a photographer for a virtual wedding. So, that company even if they're not doing a lot of weddings got hit with this new policy by square because it's very impersonal it's just based on your industry so the the owner was really upset because their company this blue bonnet company never had a disputed transaction in 3 years with square so square here's the here's the big picture effect right that's the small impact on the business owner you know holding on your money for 120 days like that's it's crazy this is one of the things that paypal has done for a long time that really really pisses off business owners. I mean, I had a client when I was in practice who got hit with a policy like this with PayPal and was processing all of his businesses' online transactions through PayPal and just totally screwed up his cash flow and there was nothing he could do about it. So eventually he got away from them, but it took him like half a year because they were holding onto his money for that long and they're allowed to do that. So here's the big picture impact. Square reported a 106 million dollar loss for the first quarter because it had to triple the amount it set aside to cover potential losses on transactions and loans. And there's a chart here in the Wall Street Journal showing how much Square has set aside, and they just they over they'd more than tripled it. Now they're setting aside um, 109 million dollars to cover future losses. Uh, and PayPal, which is much larger, has increased from a little below 400 million to uh, a little below 600 million lost reserves.
0: It'll be interesting if they use this as a, uh, a way as a, a, stick to push people into their square card, their square cash, a square, what's it called? I just said um, the name of
1: it They're, Well, this, yeah. So it's their square cash, cash app.
0: Yeah. Cash and
1: app then um, PayPal. I mean, obviously PayPal is the original one, right? Where you can have like a PayPal balance. Yeah. I, I don't, like, know.
0: Hey, if you, if you, if you, if you use square cash, instead of moving the money out to your bank, You only have to have a two-day reserve or something. I don't know, right? But that 120 days
1: is pretty aggressive. So, Square said to this reporter that less than 1% of customers were impacted by this, by this increase in reserve accounts. But, you know, that's a lot of businesses. Yeah. Um, So, watch out for that.
0: So, just two other tech becoming banks. So, Alibaba is like the Amazon of China. Mm Mm-hmm. But they also can shop on them now they have Alibaba.com, you know, which is American small businesses can sell things on that. They and Amazon have both now launched um, financing. Yes, I I heard about this. So you can get loans, you know, and and use that if you're an e-commerce seller to pay your invoices. And a lot of times it's like that, right? You have to buy inventory to sell inventory and you need
1: that elbow room. Specifically, it's for businesses that sell on these platforms. So they're financing their sellers. They're
0: financing their sellers and Amazon actually took it a step further. They, they eventually initially Amazon wanted to create like a marketplace where all the online lenders could come in and make loans to the Amazon sellers. And now uh, Amazon just did an exclusive deal with Goldman Sachs. They, they can only get an
1: option for a loan now through the Goldman Sachs, Amazon Mm -hmm. product combined product. Um, and And, these aren't, these aren't small credit lines. These are uh, credit lines of up to a million dollars. Uh, the interest rate is not that great, though. Fixed annual interest rates of 6.99% to 20.99% and can be drawn and repaid just like a regular credit card. So I guess that's better than what some of these uh, lenders are charging. Yeah. The, you know?
0: the interesting thing about this is Amazon is very about owning their customers. We own the experience that our customers or Amazon. This is the first time Amazon's going to let a third-party financial institution make decisions about their sellers. Mm. So so Goldman's making the unwriting decisions on their own, not Amazon. So so it's almost in a weird way they're kind of getting out of the banking game
1: and just well, I think it, it makes sense for Amazon because um Amazon is so capital intensive. They have to open these warehouses and, and, and buy all these automation robots and machines, and that's where they need to invest their capital, not in loaning out money to small businesses. So this is a smart move. In that respect, because then Amazon can take its profits, plow that into more warehouses everywhere, so they can do the one-day delivery everywhere in the country, which is what they're aiming to move to, is to be able to get every product to everyone in a day, or even same day, which, you know, that's a completely different experience buying online than having to wait, you know, first it was a week, then they brought it down to two days. If they can get it to one day, same day, I mean, I don't think traditional retail has a shot.
0: You're right. It, it does, it does feel strange when you do it or something. And it's like, it has to take five days. You're, you almost feel like there's a, something broken. Like, what do you mean it has to take five <laughs> days? Like this doesn't make sense.
1: Well, that's been the weirdest thing about the pandemic for me when it comes to Amazon is, you know, at the beginning of it, uh, everything was delayed. Right. And it was like going back to that normal three to five day period <laughs> to wait for something or even longer. It just, it's just funny. It's, it's funny how quickly we get used to having everything ASAP. You know, that hasn't been around for very long. It's only been a few years. So
0: we get comfortable with it, for sure.
1: Yeah. Um, Some more app news. Well, we were talking about QuickBooks, so we should mention that uh, QuickBooks Online has some updates. They have done a lot of improvements to their reporting in QuickBooks Online recently. They've been optimizing the platform to support large reports with two times enhanced data limits and search functions, smoother scrolling and enhanced navigation to help drill down into report details. You now get smart page breaks and repeat page headers. So if you're printing those reports to PDF, you get the formatting that you want. You can actually repeat the headers on each report page, which is important in case those pages get mixed up. You can reorder your comparison columns, create multiple comparisons, such as period, year to date, previous period, previous year, and previous year to date in a single report. And you can reorder those columns as preferred. You can save, collapse, and expanded sections. That's a big one. Like, it's just so annoying. Um, when you save a report and you collapse certain sections in QuickBooks, it used to not save that. So you'd have to then every time you generate the report, collapse the sections and open the sections that you wanted to show. So now that'll save on your custom reports. And then you can also edit section titles. So you can change titles, uh, section titles on reports to align with your company terminologies. So, you can change that on the profit and loss and balance sheet reports. So, uh, I don't know, for instance, if you wanted to display net income and uh, something else, right, um, for a not-for-profit, then you could because not income.
0: These are big wins for accountants and bookkeepers because, like, usually you're running these reports over and over and over again for clients. So, anytime settings stick, right, the page break settings stick, you're not you're not having to adjust and play games over and
1: over and oh, over yeah. again.
0: So, these are huge, huge feature wins for
1: yeah, it definitely makes it a lot better. And it's funny, you know, I was in zero this weekend um, doing some work. And I noticed also their reporting has gotten a lot better in terms of like just being able to quickly, you know, change columns and uh, do prior period comparisons and stuff. So I think everybody is upgrading that aspect.
0: Got it. So s- staying on the QuickBooks for a moment, uh, did you know that they canceled QuickBooks Connect in San Jose? Yes, So that got canceled. Yeah. I think we didn't talk about it last week when it happened. But so as of now, I, I'm I'm just running with the assumption that everything is canceled until the end of the year. <laughs> as of right now, the only in-person conference that I think is still on the table is Joe Woodard's um, Scaling New Heights. It got moved from St. Louis to Orlando, and it's going to take place, I think, at the Marriott. And there's actually a webinar this week with him to, talking about like an update on the status of the the conference in Florida. So I guess it all depends on how COVID goes, whether or not this happens, but that's the last in-person conference. And I'm hoping, I'm hoping it happens. Like
1: I want to go and see people. I want to give hugs to our accountants friends. Like it's no, no hugs, David. No hugs, no hugs. I know it sucks, but I just don't think this is wise. It's the, the value derived does not overcome the risk in my opinion it's it's just not worth it because it's not necessary you know and i'm a big pro- you and i talk about this offline you know i'm a big proponent of opening up <laughs> part of the reason i moved to arizona from california is cuz i was sick of not being able to do stuff in california but i think it's when it when it's necessary i mean it may not even matter because i don't know how many people are going to go that's a big question right um, same thing as when the schools open in the fall right how many people are actually going to put their kids in school i think it's going to be like half and I wouldn't be surprised if attendance at Scaling New Heights is half. And can the the show even work with half the attendance? Does it even make sense economically?
0: Yeah, I, that, the, I don't know those questions. I just I, I do. Yeah, the whole social distancing is also weird because if you're at a conference and everybody has to stay six feet apart,
1: like what's I, yeah, what's I, the point I, of that, right?
0: The, the point of the conference is that close interactions with people, and it's not a Zoom meeting. But if you're six feet apart and you're wearing a mask. Like we would also be on zoom at this point. Right.
1: (laughs) Yeah. yeah. The mask is at least on a zoom. I don't have to wear a mask. Right.
0: Yeah. I could see people's faces. Uh. I don't know. I'm really hoping we are over some level of this COVID thing. Like, you know, that there's a cure that whatever you want to call it in anybody, et cetera, et cetera, vaccine. But I just want a, like, like, the need for it is so important right now. Like it would be amazing to be able to go, it'd be amazing to see you Blake, give you a hug, right? Like it would be amazing. It would be great. Like I wish we could get, yeah. hopefully we'll be able to get there. Cause it's it's sad that every single event in our industry has been canceled every single one of them.
1: No, I, I, I agree with you. I, it sucks. Um, yeah, I'm just, I'm just not that optimistic. Maybe they'll bundle the vaccine with the, <laughs> you show up in Orlando and you get a vaccine. Yeah. Um,
0: uh, at news, do you hear about fresh books?
1: Yeah, so Twyla Verhelst is launching the Accounting Professionals Program at FreshBooks. She's a CPA uh, who joined FreshBooks, which is based in Toronto, about two months ago. And I got to know Twyla because she co-founded – is it Helm? Helm, that's correct. A cash flow application in, in 2018. Really interesting to see FreshBooks finally launching an accountants program. Although, I think maybe they had like one a long time ago, but it it didn't get a bunch of... um,
0: I feel like they dabbled in this about five or six years ago. Back when um, Doug Sleater had... When it was still SleaterCon, I think FreshBooks showed up.
1: Yeah. And because I remember getting like a, a... I signed up for their accountants program back in the day. And I got like a really nice care package like with a personalized letter saying, thanks, Blake, welcome to the program. Um, and, and by the way, I, I go way back with FreshBooks. When I started my bookkeeping business and I was just a freelancer in like 2009, I was billing by the hour, right? Doing QuickBooks ProAdvisor work and bookkeeping. And I used FreshBooks, the mobile app, when it was one of the only mobile apps to track my time when I was driving around doing all that stuff. And then I would invoice my clients and I, I found it to be the easiest way to do that.
0: One thing I uh, thought was interesting in these press releases about this is this kind of uh, loose words. uh, They're inspired by a collaborative accounting approach in which accounting professionals and their small business clients work together as a team sharing bookkeeping tasks. And I I kind of read this and I almost start to feel like it because FreshBook they're focusing on bringing together modern accounting firms with small businesses. Like, is this heading towards another QuickBooks Live model, right? I mean, there's not a lot of details past that, but (laughs) is it another similar model where, you know, it's going to be this gray area, this gray area between accountants and the small business owners?
1: I hope not, because I think we've got enough of that now. I mean, look, you mentioned it with the wave cash announcement, like one of the things that Wave offers when you sign up is the the bookkeeping software is free, but then they'll try to sell you uh, stuff like payment processing and bookkeeping. You can buy bookkeeping through Wave. But if you're going to create an accountants program, it's probably better not to compete directly with the accountants in your partner program. So, I don't think they will do that. I think it's great. If I were an accountant, if I were, well, I am, but if I were in practice, if I had my practice, I would sign up for this ASAP because FreshBooks has millions and millions and millions of customers they are the dominant GL actually in North America I think they have more users by user count than QuickBooks now granted that's because they they count it differently it's not or because it's users but yeah
0: but if, if QuickBooks are counted that way, QuickBooks would have eighty million, it's because you send them an invoice and they click pay, that doesn't make them a user, right? right. Like, it's, it's the yeah. way they count. But another thing is, I mean, they flat out say in here, the program will connect its members with FreshBooks customers seeking analytics, reporting, and business strategy coaching from an accounting professional. Like, it's very yeah. clear they're going to play middleman.
1: Well, connecting is different than, like, processing payments and, you know, managing a billing relationship. So yeah. we'll see exactly what you mean, what, what is meant by that. But hopefully, you know, if it's a traditional program, it's it's like they have a directory, you can look up a FreshBooks professional who will then, you know, work with you on that platform. Yeah, and they, they talk about
0: that there. They said that it'll gain access to a collaborative community, innovative tools and technology, personalized training and education, and dedicated support for the accountants or bookkeepers. So yeah, some part of this does feel like a typical accountants program you you've seen with other yeah. accountants it's it's it, at some level it is a little surprising like why it took a decade really for, for fresh books to finally jump in to this but uh, well because they had anyway. a really
1: successful direct model right they were able to go directly to small fr- you know businesses professionals freelancers uh and and find them online and you know maybe they've saturated that and now they're looking to expand further um and and you know they they also when they started it wasn't it was single entry accounting so most accountants were not interested in using that they would take their clients and switch them on to quickbooks immediately uh, so that they could actually do you know double entry accounting and freshbooks uh i haven't used the product since they announced it so i'm not totally sure if it's full double entry but they 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 added that capability so now it's like a competitor potentially to zero to quickbooks yeah Uh, you you don't have to
0: pull your clients off of it or use it and then have them sync. Right. And that, and that was always a strategy people could use with FreshBooks, right? Like, okay, fine. Stay in FreshBooks, do your invoicing in FreshBooks and then sync that data over to QuickBooks somehow. Right. And, and then I can do the yeah. bookkeeping. And
1: that's actually exactly, that's exactly what I did with one of my largest clients. I had them doing all their invoicing uh, in FreshBooks and I would sync the data into zero with, with, various levels of success um
0: bqe core had an announcement they are going to now integrate with tax 1099 so essentially you can now if you're you're using bqe core to manage all your vendor relationships you can actually onboard the onboard to tax 1099 automatically so you can file your 1099 forms etc so it's very similar to the way tax 1099s is integrated with other apps it's just now a niche app uh, bqe core is really going to start doing that as well This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by ADP Accountant Connect. How can you stay on top of your game and still have time to think more strategically? Or how do you keep up with all the COVID-19 related stimuli programs to make sure your clients have the documentation to get their piece of the pie? By using ADP's award-winning multi-client payroll management and analytics platform called Accountants Connect. Be your clients go to Guru by leveraging Accountant Connect's tools and resources to strengthen your strategic advisory role while boosting the efficiency of your traditional tax and accounting services. With ADP Accountant Connect, you can process payroll and easily integrate payroll data to the popular accounting systems like QuickBooks, Zero, and Sage, and handle your clients' needs anywhere at any time. And because ADP Accountants Connect was designed by accountants for accountants, it includes so much more. You can take a CPE course on trending topics, provide your clients with benchmarking data, Access a tax resource library, calculators, ebooks, even template letters for communicating with your clients. And it's free. Head over to slash That is promo forward/adp. ADP has your back with Accountant Connect.
1: So I don't know about you, but I've been getting email after email after email from companies with their black lives matter message uh and at first it was like really cool but then it just started to get repetitive like the same way as soon as covid19 hit some companies jumped on it and sent out the really you know on point messaging saying we're here to support you we're we're doing everything we can the messages of encouragement which at first are great but then they start to get repetitive and you can see these companies just putting out messages you know they're just doing what everyone else did does that make sense so, last week I got an email from Cal CPA with the CEO's uh, statement about diversity. Anthony Pugliese outlined his 90 day plan to enact programs and actions aimed at building a more diverse and inclusive environment for Cal CPA members. So, here's what they're doing they're signing a pledge to publicly affirm Cal CPA's commitment to equity and inclusion. They're forming a member led diversity, equity, and inclusion committee to lead efforts in creating meaningful programs, resources, and outcomes for Cal CPA members. So, diversity committee. They are going to, via this committee, address specific goals, standards, and practices designed to identify and address racial inequities, and establish specific metrics to measure progress on said goals. And uh, they're going to join state CPI societies across the nation, sharing best practices for achieving a more just and equitable professional association. This reminds me of kind of like all the stuff I've seen from some of the CPA firms that are out there that are making statements saying. We're we're signing a pledge. We are creating a committee. We're going to come up with a plan. You know, I am not. I don't mean to call out Cal CPA, It's just this is the email I got that I noticed that stuck out to me. But it seems like all of these plans and stuff, like they always result in a committee being formed, a plan being a, a statement that we're going to make a plan. And then like nothing really ever happens. Like I remember all of this with women in accounting recently. And has the number of, you know, female partners really increased all that much in large firms? No, I think we're still under 20%. And, you know, we've been talking about diversity in accounting for 50 years and nothing has really changed. As we discussed on one of the last episodes, you know, the percentage of African-American CPAs is 1% in CPA firms. And I found out that partners, it's 0.3%, right? And the population is like 13 to 15% black. So, like we we are we are not making much progress. It's about the same as it's been. And I just, it's frustrating, right? To like, it's annoying to get these messages where, you know, there's, it doesn't feel like action is actually happening, that it's just uh, words being said.
0: Like it's the, uh, I guess we got to put out our statement too. And everybody's just like, it's like, it's yeah. the checklist. Like, uh, all the other uh, state societies did it. We need to do it too. But nobody's actually truly implementing plan. Like, like, Like there's a meeting, they create the email, and then you kind of feel like nothing ever really happens after that.
1: Yeah, and I'm thinking about this over the last few weeks, is this, you know, the whole, the protests are happening, uh, Black Lives Matter is the top news story every single day for over two weeks. And, you know, it's just sticking in my head. And I think to myself, we know exactly how to solve this problem as accountants. We know exactly what we should do. And we just aren't willing to do it. And you know what that that is? What is this, Blake? What? So. There's some hope in this CalCPA message because he calls out addressing specific goals, standards, and practices designed to identify and address racial inequities. Accountants are about quantifying. We are about setting goals and metrics and measuring progress to those goals and metrics. So if we want to make our firms more diverse, how do we do it? Create a KPI For diversity in your firm and stick that on the dashboard that all the partners or at least the managing partner is looking at every week because firms are really really good at measuring stuff like utilization realization billable hours all the best firms are obsessed with looking at that data very frequently and then tie bonuses and partner payouts to this kpi Exactly. And put that at the top. So, start measuring, you know, what percentage of your staff at every single level in the firm is diverse. And it could be as simple as, you know, here's the percentage of white males and then here's everybody else. You could also break it down by gender, too. I think that would be helpful. So you have two. You have gender diversity and racial diversity, and that's a number, it's a percentage for every role in the firm, right? Every level of promotion all the way up to partner. And you display that publicly. And then you say, what it sh- here's what we aim for it to be, right? You set a goal and then you make it happen. Right? If you if you don't do that, it's not going to happen. And we know that as accountants, right? If you don't set a goal, if you don't set a budget, basically, then it won't happen. So that's what needs to happen. We need to set a budget for diversity and then and then figure out how to make it happen. It just seems kind of obvious to me, actually. So you have like a diversity KPI. Put that on your firm dashboard. And then, um, or even at the state society uh, levels, they should be tracking it and reporting on that
0: every quarter, like what the numbers are. Ask,
1: ask, ask every firm to report diversity, and then uh, give awards to firms that increase diversity, that improve that. I mean, it's just abysmal. And, and it was what was really weird, I think, for me working in a big firm was seeing how many of the staff are diverse. So many women, right? It's like fifty percent or more women in accounting at the like staff level. In my classes, it was like 60% or more. A lot of diversity, Um, you know, in Southern California, tons of Asian folks are getting into accounting, right? That is no surprise to anyone who worked in in accounting in California. And yet they represent like hardly any of the partners, you know, no black people in the partnerships, all white men as partners. And, uh, you know, that actually worked out really well for me, right? As a white guy, like all the partners, like I, it's, it's like, it's completely obvious that, Like the way that you get promoted in an accounting firm is when people like you and people who are in positions of power, who are partners are more likely to like you and give you work if you look like them, if you look like their kids, right? It's it's just, it's obvious. And that's the sort of unintentional, not direct form of racism, but it is. It is a form of racism. And this is the other thing about accounting that I have noticed. We like to think that we are objective and that- Promotions are based on who has the uh, most realization, utilization, billable, billable hours. Billable
0: hours, the most billable
1: hours. <laughs> but how do you get billable hours? People have to give you work. And how do you get work from people? Well, first, you got to be good at the job, but more importantly, they got to like you. So, if partners like you, right, if they identify with you, uh, then they're going to give you good work. And good assignments are what get you the billable hours that you need to hit your goals. Partnerships are clubs, right? So, it's just like the same problem where you have like a, a club that's like a bunch of white men. They're going to recruit people subconsciously or consciously that are like them because that's how people are. We like people who look like us. And and so, unless you do something consciously to counteract that, that's going to perpetuate itself. And that is exactly the situation that we have been in, in accounting for years and years. You have to actively push diversity in your firm, or it will, by by the nature of the way partnerships work, it will perpetuate a lack of diversity. So does that mean that you set a target for recruitment and you specifically say, we are going to hire X percent diverse people and we are going to promote X percent diverse into our partner ranks? If you want to make it happen, then that's the best way to do it. Actually set a target and say, we must, in our next partner class, have X percent Diversity.
0: It may may have to be a longer timeline because fundamentally, like we've we've talked about these numbers before, the number of minorities that are graduating with accounting degrees, right, and then as they move up the ladder, right, you're probably not going to make somebody who just got out of college. No, no, it takes time. It takes time. But what's happening is, e- even if an accounting firm mentally says, okay, we're going to promote somebody that's diverse, they might actually ha- not have anybody on their staff yet that's up to that level to become a partner. And it's like, so it's th- it could be very hard to see a progress in a quarter, or a quarter. But over three, four years, like there should be less
1: excuses for it not happening. You got to do it at all stages of the funnel. Because um, a lot of the problem is, like, especially with women, we don't have a problem recruiting women into accounting firms. That's not a problem. There's plenty of women entering accounting, but they leave somewhere between manager and partner. And why? There's lots of answers as to why. If if you really want to make women stay, then you need to like, you know, at that point, say we are going to make sure that we have 50% women going from manager to senior manager and then 50% from senior manager to partner. And we're going to change how the firm operates to make that happen, right? If women are leaving because of a specific reason, we need to fix that. And same thing with, you know, other diversity targets. You 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 can't just say like, oh, we have a system that is, you know, like a colorblind system can still be racist. That's one of the things that I've learned over the last few weeks. Because if it perpetuates the situation, then it's, you know, systematically racist. So anyway, that's me, you know, I'll step down off of my soapbox here on that. Um, to summarize, <laughs> the premise is you got to start tracking it. If we don't start tracking it, Track it
0: at the CPA, at the state societies, et cetera firms aren't going to attract themselves and if they, don't, they don't reward the behaviors right along the way
1: and go out and recruit on campus at places that are you know historically black or you know more diverse like yeah you actually got to go do it too but that alone is not enough so uh ppp yeah let's jump
0: in you want to you want to okay. talk about minuchin do you want to talk about rubio like what do you want to
1: well so let's just talk about the new guidance that came out on friday So, effective January 12th, the SBA and Treasury announced some new and revised guidance regarding the Paycheck Protection Program. So, I think we're on the 14th interim final rule. Rather than releasing another interim final rule, they revised the first one. So, this was a revision to the first interim final rule. (laughs) Uh, The eligibility threshold for those with felony criminal histories has been changed. The uh, look-back period has been reduced from five years to one year to determine eligibility for applicants or owners of applicants who, for non-financial felonies, have been convicted, pleaded guilty, pleaded no contest, or been placed in any form of parole or probation. So, it's still five years for felonies involving fraud, bribery, and embezzlement, or false statement in a loan application, but for non-financial crimes, it's only a year. And that was the only change that I spotted uh, on Friday with PPP and actually the way that it operates. Um, The thing that really stuck in my head was over the weekend, Larry uh, Kudlow, as I mentioned at the beginning of the program, was on CNN, on Jake Tapper's State of the Union program on Sunday, and said some things that uh, have created a bit of controversy. He said that the Trump administration never promised to release the names of businesses that received PPP loans as part of the CARES Act. And this was in response to questioning about Stephen Mnuchin. Uh, on Wednesday, who said that he told Congress that the SBA is not going to release the names of the businesses that received PPP loans? And now there's people in Congress who are like upset about this, right? Because transparency, the administration promised transparency, and I'm not sure exactly what the administration promised. I do recall them promising transparency in the program because it's 600 billion dollars, and you you know you need some transparency to make sure that people you know who Ought to have got the money, and got the money, right? Well, there, I mean, some of it is to Mark
0: Rubio, right? Yeah, Marco Rubio. Yeah, he was and, saying and that April uh, 29th, He insisted we are we are going to know one way or another who got this money. So he was he was he was all about releasing this. Yeah, right. We will make them do it. He was all about releasing this. But now, since Mnuchin went on and had his testimony, right? And they walked uh, it back and walked it back. And now he's saying, yeah, yeah, he's changed his course. Maybe it is a uh, proprietary information. So, so Rubio's completely flip flopped on
1: this, this point of view, but then if you really, um, Oh, and just to add to that, uh, David, so the SBA also previously had said that the names would be released. And on the application, it says that you agree that your name and address may be released as part of a Freedom of Information Act request. So, this, this was planned. Because historically,
0: all SBA loans, that information's released.
1: Yeah. You can go find that speaking.
0: out. Yeah. It's a taxpayer money, right? Yeah. And the, so, I mean, there's the argument whether they should or shouldn't. And I argue that I come from the point of view that we should because the, really the key is just to get insight of who kind of got sweetheart deals and who, if they're connected to people in politics. Like, we need to see that. It yeah. needs to be disclosed, right? Um, they think it's going to be, well, if we know that this company got this much of a loan, that means their payroll is this much and it's going to be a competitive advantage for their competitors and all. But but not if everybody's out there. Yeah, It's that, not competitive for anybody.
1: That's the main argument is that because the loan is calculated based on payroll amounts, you could, knowing the amount uh, that somebody got for their loan, you could figure out what their annual payroll is. And that, that is proprietary information and should not be released. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I, I mean, re- I guess, I guess like that could be competitive intelligence. But, you know, given that these companies agreed that their, this information could become public.
0: The, the other problem I have with this is just so there's an article, um, I'm in an article from Politico. Basically, Mnuchin's been, um, you know, testifying to Congress. Right And talking about oversight of this, and there's like this revisionist history happening on what the purpose of the paycheck protection program was. So like what was the purpose of the paycheck protection program?
1: Well, you know I'm still not clear on that. Um, it was either small depending on who, you, who was talking, it was either small business stimulus or it was uh, to protect you know keep people off unemployment.
0: Okay, so according to Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer, this is on Friday. He said, "Given the many problems of the PPP program, it is imperative American taxpayers pay- know if the money is going where Congress intended to the truly small and unbanked small businesses." <laughs> where did that that Where did this come from? Yeah, that was like that was never in any that was never ever mentioned that right. it's for
1: the unbanked small businesses. Yeah, well, and and the way the program was designed, it was specifically for Businesses that already had banking relationships because they went through the banks, you know, like anyone with a brain could have seen that was what was going to happen. And I think that if they release the names and information about these loans, that that's what we'll find is that it's the well-connected small businesses, the larger small businesses that have accountants and lawyers who can help them get these loans that got the money. And And that was very obvious in round one. That first three hundred fifty million, it was
0: very obvious who got stacked up, who got prioritized, and they got a sweetheart deal when it was supposed to be open to everybody on day one. Yeah, and that's what they're afraid is going to be exposed.
1: Yeah, right. Is that people stack these things, arguably illegally? And you know, I was talking with my dad about this, uh, and he had a good point, which is that like he doesn't think the names will become public because. There may be a lot of wealthy, you know, Republicans and and Republican-owned businesses where you know they got these loans and they wouldn't want their names to become public. But you could say the same on the on the Democratic side. And oh, so, it's all
0: politicians are connected to people, right? Yeah. So, they, this is not a Republican-Democrat thing. The, it's-
1: the, yeah, the leadership, right in the in in Congress, probably would on both sides probably would not be too sad if these names never came out because it would just create a hassle for for them on all fronts. Oh,
0: I'm sure this is posturing, right? right. This is uh, a posturing on all fronts. But not only that, so the uh, it's not just so the SBA they're withholding information from the government accountability office. So not even just information about who requested the loans. Yeah. But like, they don't even know like if they they can't get data from the SBA separating out the loans and separate economic disaster injury loan program like the, the, the GOA confirmed on Friday that has received no information about the, when the, wh- not even information of when the SBA will provide the data. So, they can't get a response from
1: yeah. the SBA. Now, I wonder how much of that is malicious and how much is just they're overwhelmed and they don't like have the <laughs> capability of getting them that information quickly enough. I, I think a lot of this is posturing, right? And it's it's a negotiating position is the position the administration is taking right now is maximum privacy and that they're going to end up compromising. So, the Democrats in Congress will look like they forced the administration to release information. In the end, it will only be information on loans over a lot of money, over a few million dollars is going to get released. And then, you know, the press will have fun going through and, um, you know, picking out businesses who should they have got the money? Should they not look at this mom and pop that went under, but this you know big meat packing plant was able to keep going even though they're making tons of money, right? That sort of thing. Um, so that's where they'll end up. And nobody in Congress wants all the names to get out there because I, I can guarantee you that so many of those names are going to be like you know donors, people who don't want the names to get out there who have influence.
0: Yeah, and there's a letter that. Um... Senator Kamala Harris and uh Democrat center from California and representative Katie Porter, Democrat, California, they, they were an open letter on Friday. And one of the sentences in it really makes a lot of sense. And I think kind of can summarize this, right? It is impossible to know to the extent of the PPP's problems or its successes without access to the data. Right. And, and, and we even had somebody write a review that you and I were too harsh about the success of PPP, but without the data, none of us can celebrate this or criticize its problems. Yeah. The data is not available to us, to to both sides, right? It's just not available.
1: So maybe the administration is also stalling, hoping that the economy improves over the next few months and then nobody cares anymore and the PPP will get credit for a lot of that success, which, you know, happened with the May unemployment numbers. PPP, in every article I read about the unemployment numbers, the Paycheck Protection Program got credit for at least some of that $2.5 million, 2.5 million jobs that was saved. Yeah, So that's the controversy about the privacy. We'll see what happens with that. In terms of the actual forgiveness, there's still calls in Congress to make the forgiveness application simpler because it's 11 pages right now and it's pretty complicated. Gene Marks uh,
0: wrote up another opinion piece for the Washington Times about the Paycheck Protection Program is a success except for one big issue. And you can skip the whole article and skip all the way down to the part where it's the forgiveness application. It's just impossible. And again, yeah. his argument is convert, just call this what it is. It's a grant and move on. Let small businesses move on.
1: Well, and again, I this. like I would set a threshold. So loans under a certain amount, just automatically forgive them. Just just do it. And if they did that, that would encourage the businesses who haven't yet applied to apply and get the rest of the hundred billion or more that is still in the pot available to be taken. The second round has not been used up. And I think the big reason is that most businesses, the small ones without the accountants and the lawyers, are too scared to take the money because they don't know how to do these forms. I mean, these forms are challenging for accountants. You think your typical small business owner is going to be able to do them or want to do them? No. Uh, and then they worry about, you know, just getting saddled with additional debt if it doesn't turn out to be a grant. And that's the uncertainty is the problem.
0: So, do you want to um, chat a little bit about kind of these new funding programs that we're going to be talking about for the next 8 to 12 weeks that are coming onto the radar?
1: Yeah. T- I've been so focused on PPP that I haven't really been paying attention oh, to Oh, it's, much it's else. leveled up.
0: Okay. Are okay. you ready? So, a group of Democratic senators have introduced a new paycheck protection program. Okay. Only for small businesses with a 100 or fewer employees, including self so proprietorships and self-employed. Right? Mm-hmm. Okay, are you ready for the name of this? Well, go, you, to be eligible it. for the Prioritized Paycheck Protection Program. So, it's now 4Ps.
1: <laughs> the 4P four, p, four p program. So, to be eligible, PPPP.
0: you must have already sent spent a PPP loan. So, you got your loan. You used it all up. Okay, well, that's where they're
1: screwing up in the first place. And because- prove,
0: and prove <laughs> that you had a revenue loss of 50% or more due to the p-
1: pandemic. Oh, God. So, see, they're, they're already screwing up because if they want smaller businesses to get the money then those businesses didn't get ppp loans already and then you're making them prove a revenue loss with more paperwork like what yes. what is it about simplifying the uh, stuff that congress just doesn't get i mean i that's a stupid question given that they've written the tax code so yeah
0: so 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 that's coming down the pipe there's not a lot more on that just yet but just for The four P. This is co- or P four is coming.
1: So that's a proposal in Congress, but but it, we don't know if that's going to go anywhere because uh, the administration is not. Ex- they are n- they are not making encouraging sounds about more stimulus.
0: Yeah, but you know who is involved in this proposal is uh, Ben Cardin, who is he's the U.S. Senate. Committee on Small Business, like so. This 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 may come off as kind of a, it's just an idea. Who's introducing it? But you look, who's introducing it? This is the person that has a, a lot of influence over the SBA, etc. So, and then we talked about the mainstream loan program before. Mainstream right? that's basically mainstream Main Main lending street, program, which is not for mainstream businesses. It's for huge businesses. Right. So they've changed the guidelines for that already. Hasn't even started, and they've changed the guidelines. <laughs> so now the minimum loan amount will be two hundred fifty thousand. Before it was uh it was five hundred thousand, and the maximum now will um, could be up to three hundred million from the previous two hundred million. So they're already changing this, and this loan program is really wrapping up to start um, next week. Uh, d- it's days away from making its first loan, as it says in the article, and so this is the whole another set of money that's going out that's going to have to be tracked, going to have to be reported on. But this is different because this is loans directly from the Fed. So this is just how the Fed gives banks loans. They're going to give loans to businesses, large businesses, and so uh, this is a whole other thing we're going to see. They're going to provide seventy-five billion dollars in equity that can be used up to, for up to six hundred billion in lending. Mm, right. So this is a whole. This program's about to roll out, and it's already getting changed. Um, and then I know we talked. I, I hinted at this a couple of weeks ago. I was like, well, probably you know, with. We were talking about why there should be forgiveness, right? Just get this off of people's plates mm-hmm. because there's new things to worry about. Well, U.S. Treasury Secretary Mnuchin said the administration is considering reimbursing businesses whose storefronts were damaged in the recent rioting. So there's going to be a whole new set of progr- uh, programs of that are going to be out there for small businesses that were damaged because of the
1: rioting. Well, it's hopefully more
0: programs to track, more programs to report on. It's hopefully
1: that paperwork will be a lot easier. It,
0: well, the good news for accountants and bookkeepers, there's going to be plenty of work for you. <laughs> there's plenty of work for you regarding this stuff.
1: It's true. It's, you know, it's a stressful time for the community and you can just see that in uh, Twitter. It, but but it's also an opportunity. There's so much work to be had if you're willing to jump on these programs and figure out how they work and help your clients get funding. Well, uh, that's all the time we got.
0: Yeah, I'd love for people to give us a call, call our voicemail and let us know what you're doing possibly to for diversity in your own firm if you have any ideas or whatever you're doing to address diversity in your own firm we'd love to kind of hear their ideas on a way to do that
1: yeah that'd be great ways to measure it that number is 202-695-1040 202-695-1040 it's a google voice number Uh, it'll go straight to voicemail and and leave us a message we'll take a listen and we maybe we'll play it on the air and if you want to reach me online i'm at blake t oliver on twitter how about you david I'm on Twitter and actually all the socials. I'm at David Leary. So reach out. Uh, let us know what you think. Give us a follow. Uh, thanks for listening. Uh, we'll see you here next week.
0: Next week. Time for the classifieds. Still sending spreadsheets of unclassified expenses to clients? Automate this process and get client answers instantly with Client Hub's QuickBooks Online integration. This feature was described as one that only an accountant would have come up with as it solves a real big pain point. ClientHub is a modern client portal designed for cloud accounting firms. Get started today with a free trial at clienthub.app and enter promo code CAP25 for 25% off your first three months. Did you know that in response to the COVID-19 situation, that you can now take your Microsoft Excel certification from home? Want to learn how? You can by joining Steve Chase's Excel Bootcamp. His summer classes run Monday through Fridays from 3 p.m. to 4.30 p.m. Central Time. Register online at sequentiasolutions.com slash bootcamp for only $150. If you mention the Cloud Accounting Podcast referred to you, you'll receive an extra $30 off. High school students are highly encouraged to sign up, and you can find the link in the show notes accountingtax.com has helped more than 8,900 tax accounting and wealth management firms map out a client experience through client acquisition conversion onboarding retention and expansion with the goal of getting clients to pay more year over year if you're looking to develop your practice and take it to the next level with advisory services go to accountingtax.com forward slash cloud to learn more